0: I want to speak to you tonight on the subject of heaven. Most people, and most of us actually as believers, only think of heaven when it comes to death and dying. It's kind of like an an assurance policy that we have filed away and labelled in the event of. Or just in case the worst happens. Or when I'm old and grey. To the world, it's just somewhere over the rainbow or the great nursing home in the sky. Uh, for many, particularly for the young, for those who only live for pleasure, uh, then the very thought of heaven uh, sounds somewhere that's very dull, boring, funless, far too religious. And unexciting, like one great big, long, eternal church service. <laughs> For others it seems too vague, too whimsical, too pie in the sky, too ethereal, to even to be bothered to think about. And so consequently we think very little about heaven really, the truth be told. And when we do occasionally, it's usually in a kind of a fuzzy way or simply when someone dies. And actually the reason why I'm preaching tonight on this is because, as I said this morning, there's a number of people within the church here who have suffered recent bereavements. And so it does bring it home to us again and we begin to think about it all over again. That's no bad thing, is it? But surely that's not what God intended. Surely God intended, if God made heaven for us, surely what he has made for us has got to be better than the best that earth has got, surely. And if it doesn't beat the best that earth has got, (laughs) then it's not what I think. God can do. I think God is a great God. I think He's an imaginative God. He's a creative God. He's a big God. And surely what He is doing for us right now, Jesus said He's gone to prepare a place for us. And after 2,000 years, surely what He is preparing for us is better than anything we could ever imagine on this earth. C.S. Lewis said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And you and I are made for another world. Because this world is temporary. It's transient. It's going to be gone one day. In fact, there's going to be a new earth one day. And so everything in this world will pass away. There is an expiry date on it. And one day it will be gone. Do you ever think that If you can imagine 120 years from now, if the Lord tarries, 120 years from now, that all 6 billion people on the planet right now will be dead and gone. Gone where? Gone to what? Gone to whom? They're gone somewhere. And that's only in 120 years. So let's not be vague or fuzzy about our eternal home. Not like the English vicar one time when he was asked what he expected after death. His reply was, well, if it comes to that, I suppose I shall enter into eternal bliss. But I really wish you wouldn't bring up such a depressing subject. (laughs) And for some people it would be a depressing subject. But not for the believer in Christ, it's not. Because the apostles, Paul said, to be with Christ, which is, what, far better. Far better than we could ever even begin to imagine. Revelation 21 and 22 describes what heaven is like, or at least its capital city, the New Jerusalem. And we'll read about that a little bit later. It tells about its streets being made of pure gold, its walls of jasper, It tells about its foundations of very precious stones, its gates made of pearls. It tells us that there will be need of the light of the sun or the moon or a lamp because the Lamb himself shall lighten it. So what a wonderful, exciting place. Now tell me, if that is not our favorite passage about heaven, what is? And it isn't, by the way. Do you know that the two most popular passages about heaven in scripture, do you know what they are? Do you know every funeral you've ever been at, you've probably heard them read? John 14 and 3. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And the other one, of course, is in Psalm 23 verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Did you notice that those two scriptures, which are the two most popular scriptures about heaven, did you notice they're about home? They're about home. A place for us to dwell. Our Father's house. You see, whenever we speak of heaven as home, then it can be more comforting. Home is something we understand. We, we have never seen streets of gold. We've never seen the heavenly city. We've never seen the river of life or the trees of life. We've never seen any of those things. So it's hard for us to actually picture those. But when we think of home, we understand home. No matter where you are in the world that you travel, when you get back again, there's nowhere like home. You're glad to be home. You may have had a most exciting holiday. You may have even been with friends and loved ones. But when you get to your house and you get those bags in and you get to your own bed at night and you put your own kettle on, there is nowhere like home. And you can kick back and you can put your feet up in the sati, if you like. If your wife's not watching you, that is. And you can just enjoy being home. And so, man is restless. Man is looking for a place in life. Ever since Adam lost his home in paradise, when God had to evict him from his home in paradise... Adam's sons has forever been looking for home, looking for a place. And this is why there's the restlessness within human beings. Cain was a wanderer. And we know that the nations were scattered at Babel. And even Abraham went out looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. So what will our home be like? Jesus said, I go to prepare a place. For you, Think about this for a moment. Isn't the truth that all of us has our place in our house? All of us has our favorite chair. Isn't that so? And all of us have our favorite side of the bed. When you come to church, invariably you sit in the same seats. To prove the point, Brother Trevor's here tonight. He was sitting down the back and as I was walking up, He lifted his coat, and I says, oh, you're on the move. He says, I'm going back to my usual seat. (laughs) Because he doesn't like sitting down there in the back. That's not a usual seat. And that's human nature, and you all laugh, but you're exactly the same. I know who's missing generally in church by looking at the empty seat. Because you sit there every week, week in, week out. And you kind of look at somebody there sitting on it as if to say, you're sitting in my seat. And so Jesus says, I've got to prepare a place for you, your own place where you'll be comfortable, that belong to you and you alone, that's yours for all eternity. I prepare a place for you. And so what will heaven be like? Well, heaven will be our home because our Father is there. In my Father's house are many mansions, and because our Saviour is there, I go to prepare a place for you. And so because our Father is there and because our Saviour there, it's going to be home for us. Do you remember Luke chapter 16? See, one of the questions that people ask would it be heaven. And listen, by the way, there's, there's too many questions for me to answer tonight, so I may not get around to yours. And I may actually pose more questions than I give answers. Because it's a big, 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 big subject. There's over 580 verses, references, I should say, about heaven in the Bible. So it's a big, big subject. And we don't know everything about it. But we know more than we, well, we ought to know more than we do. Actually, if we read the Scriptures, we'd find out lots about it. But one of the questions that invariably is asked about heaven is, will we know each other in heaven? Absolutely. Why wouldn't we know each other in heaven? If we know each other on earth, why wouldn't we know each other in heaven? You remember in Luke chapter 16 how that the rich man and the beggar Lazarus, and the beggar Lazarus died, and the rich man died, and the beggar Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. That was a uh, a Hebrew way of, of saying paradise. And then there was a great gulf fixed between him and the rich man in Hades. Now, you have to understand this is before Jesus went to the cross, before he died, before he was resurrected again, and during that period between his death and the resurrection, how he went into that place and he led captivity captive. So that. Abraham's bosom, that paradise place, with well, that gulf between that and Hades, that part's empty today. So now, today, when you die, it's absent from the body and it's present with the Lord. And so that was a, a kind of heaven, as it were, if I can use that term. That was as close as they got to it at that point. And it's very, very obvious that the rich man and Lazarus knew each other Very obvious, because the rich man said to Abraham, Father Abraham, he says, get Lazarus to go and dip his finger in water and touch my tongue. I am tormented in this place. And so it was obvious that they knew each other. Will it be possible to recognize those in heaven whom we have never met? Well, in Luke chapter 9, you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John was there, and suddenly Jesus was accompanied by Moses and Elijah. And those disciples instantly recognized them. Didn't have to be introduced. They instantly knew who they were. These were their boyhood heroes but they had no photographs, they probably had no drawings. But suddenly when they saw those two, they knew immediately who they were. And I think whenever we get to the glory, if the Apostle Paul walks down the golden streets, I don't think we'll have to have an introduction. I think we'll know who he is. I think that will be perfectly clear to us. I don't know how, but I think that it will be. And I think there will be a great understanding There'll be a connection between us all because we all have a common denominator. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Are those in heaven, here's another question, aware of what is happening on earth? That's a good question, isn't it? Are those in heaven aware of what is happening on earth? Well, come with me, please, to uh, Revelation chapter 6. And you know there was three sets of judgments in Revelation. One of them was seal judgments and here. And the fifth seal was opened. This is in Revelation 6 verse 9. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. So here are these martyrs asking God a question. How long, O Lord, are we going to have to wait to see you avenge those who took our lives on earth? They remembered, they were fully aware, of what happened to them on earth. They hadn't forgotten about it, fully aware of it, watching, wondering how long would this continue before God deals with it. Because they know that God's a God of justice and He's a righteous God and He will deal righteously. But they wanted to know. Why did they want to know that? Because they knew it hadn't happened yet. So they must have been aware of something that's going on. Well, they are aware of everything, but they were certainly aware of that because they wanted to know, God, when are you going to do something about this? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. And so there is a knowledge, some kind of knowledge, that we see here with the martyrs at the very least, who could see what was going on on earth? In Revelation 18, this is relating to the uh, fall of Babylon. Verse 19, And they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. Note this, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. So right now, in heaven, there are those scripturally we saw that, who has an understanding of what's happening on earth and who are patiently waiting until that day and that hour when God will judge this earth. And they're waiting for it. And they know it hasn't happened yet. And that's why they're asking God, when is it going to happen? And he says, just a little while longer. Just rest. Trust me, I'll deal with it. Well, if only we could learn that lesson. hmm? Just rest. Trust me. I'll deal with it. Now, what about Hebrews chapter 12? Let's get a little bit closer to home. Verse 1. therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and so forth. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, a cloud of witnesses is a great number, and the writer to Hebrews is using the image of the say, the Olympiads in the arena. And you can imagine those bleachers going up all around the great arenas. I don't know if any of you has ever been in the Colosseum in Rome. You get an understanding of the sheer scale of that place in its heyday. It was massive, held thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. All eyes looking down on the arena at the gladiators or in this case the runners and the athletes a great cloud of witnesses who is the great cloud of witnesses who are they are they old testament saints no question about it i'm sure they are but could they not be also those who have gone on before us a great cloud of witnesses have joined the old testament saints and watching and looking and what's going on on this earth? All the more reason why we should be pressing ahead and running our race and make sure we finish the race that is set before us and not allow anything or anybody to hold us back from running the race that God has got designed for us to run. Listen to this scripture in Luke chapter 15. Remember this little triple parable, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son? Verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost." And I say to you that likewise there be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance." Or what woman having ten silver coins if she loses one coin does not light a lamp sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it she calls her friends and neighbors together saying rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise I say to you there will be joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Who is rejoicing? It doesn't say the angel rejoicing. Rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Who's rejoicing? Every believer that's in heaven. Is an announcement made to them? Or do they know? There must be some rejoicing in heaven. And whenever your loved one comes to Christ, there's a great celebration in heaven that another one has trusted the Savior. Can you imagine the rejoicing there will be whenever that loved one is into heaven itself. Can you imagine the welcoming committee? I have no doubt God's got a welcoming committee. Welcoming those who come through into heaven. Escorted by the angels of God. How real is heaven? Is it a literal place? Or is it simply a state of mind? There was those who would try to make us believe as Christians that it's just a state of mind, that it's just metaphorical, and it's not literal, it's not really real, it's just trying to teach us something and all the rest of it. Baloney. It's real, it's literal, it's material. It's more real than this building that you're sitting in right now. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, not a state of mind for you, a place for you, and he's prepared it What about Hebrews chapter eleven? Hebrews chapter eleven. Verse 8 say, verse eight, first. first, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to the place which he would receive as inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And end down in verse 13, These all died in faith, their God. Not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. That sounds pretty material to me, that prime city, that sounds as if that's something that's real and lasting. In Hebrews 13, in verse 14, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. And so when the Bible speaks of heaven and it speaks of a heavenly city it's literally talking about the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem which is the capital of heaven. Heaven's a country. I mean it is a literal place with a capital city with streets and rivers and trees and it's populated and it's more real than this. This will pass away. This old world is going to be purified by fire, Peter says one day. In fact, he says the very atmosphere stored up with it for the day. But heaven is eternal. The New Jerusalem, in chapter, let's just read a little bit about this because this is just mind-blowing. It's mind-boggling. Chapter 21 of Revelation. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him that thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars have their place part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. And then it goes on to describe, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. By the way, this great city one day is going to descend down from heaven down upon the new earth. What a sight this is going to be. Listen to this. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And she had great and a high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates, and names written on them which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. And The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. So it's cube-shaped. Then he measured its wall, one hundred and forty-four cubits according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. Its foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first stone was a jasper, the second a sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the 11th jacinth, the 12th amethyst, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light." And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Just a couple more verses. And he showed me a pure river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb in the middle of its street. And on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him, they shall see his face. What a day that's going to be. His name shall be on their foreheads and there shall be no night there, no need of lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and forever. Glory to God. Now let me remind you, for those of you who know and for those of you who don't know, this city is incredibly large. Humongous beyond anything that we could ever imagine on the face of this earth. It is 14 to 1,500 miles long, wide, and high. Now that is beyond our comprehension, isn't that? The ground level will be nearly 2 million square miles. That's the ground floor. That's a big ground floor, isn't it? Nearly 2 million square miles. The city will be 15,000 times bigger than London, 20 times bigger than New Zealand, 40 times bigger than England, 10 times bigger than Germany or France, 3 quarters the size of America, bigger than the subcontinent of India. It has been calculated that it could easily accommodate the population more than 70 times the present population of this earth. That's just mind-boggling, isn't it? How do you even begin to get your head around that? Somebody says if each floor was just 12 feet high, you could have over 600,000 floors. (laughs) It could literally contain billions and billions and billions. See, God can do things on a grand scale. I was reading where somebody said, now that would be impossible because that would put the earth out of sync The earth couldn't contain that. It would start to wobble with that weight on it. Well, God's a God of physics. He invented physics. He can do anything, can't he? Anyway, it's going to be a new earth that's going to be on, so God will have all that worked out. We don't need to worry about that. But God does everything on a grand scale. Do you know there's a mountain on Mars that is 15 miles high? That its base is the size of France, Olympus Mons. That's three times as big as Mount Everest. Do you know there's a canyon in Mars, the Valles Marineris, which is 10 times bigger than the Grand Canyon and five times deeper than the Grand Canyon? I Many has been in the Grand Canyon in here. I know Trevor has. Some of his have. That's just a wee rut in the ground compared to this. In fact, you can go on go, Google Mars. And a photo of Mars would come up. And you see this great big massive gash right across it. That's what we're talking about here. Massive. And that's only on a wee planet. And so God is a big God. He's a creative God. And he can do anything. And this city is on a massive, massive scale. And it says in Revelation 22 verse 1 that there is the river of life. And it's crystal clear pure. it says that on either side of the river is the tree of life. And if it's neither side, then there must be more than one tree. So we can safely assume that there's lots of trees of life. And there's probably more than one river too. There's probably tributaries all over the city. And it says that the leaves on the trees are for the healing of the nations. And the word they're healing is theoperae which means therapeutic. You remember in the Garden of Eden how that God created Adam and Eve to live forever. And then they fell in sin. What was the first thing that God did? He blocked the way to the tree of life, didn't He? So they wouldn't live forever as sinful creatures. So there was something before that that they were, was available to them through the tree of life that kept them immortal. Now, we can't explain this. We don't know what exactly this means. But we do know from Scripture that in heaven there are the tree of life, or the trees of life, that produces fruit every month. And the leaves are for the healings of the nation, for the well-being of the nations. There must be something that's good and wholesome and that's medicinal, could we say, that keeps people healthy and alive and well. Don't ask me to explain that. I don't even begin to understand that. I'm just telling you what the Scriptures say. Now listen. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, whenever Jesus is talking to the church at Ephesus, He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. He said, I didn't know we were going to eat in heaven. Ah, why not? I say, well, uh, I wasn't sure whether we'd be eating or not. I mean... Can you eat with the resurrected body? Well, certainly Jesus did, didn't he? he made the first barbecue on the beach after his resurrection. I remember Peter and the disciples came from fishing, and he ate. So evidently, we can eat. I wonder what the cooking is like in heaven, eh? I wonder what that'll be like. I wonder what food we'll get there. Hmm. You remember the manna that was given to the children of Israel in the wilderness? Remember what they called it? It was angel food. <laughs> they'd never seen anything like it of course that's all they got for many many years and they got sick and sore and tired of it didn't they complained about it you think you'd never complain about angel food but they did but I think in heaven there'll be such a variety you'll never have to complain there'll be no horse meat that's for sure I <laughs> don't have to do any DNA testing <laughs> as they're currently doing <laughs> there's nothing wrong with horses by the way either Horse meat, do you know harm? I wouldn't mind a horse burger. As long as I knew it was one, I would try it just to see what it tastes like. I probably have been eating it and didn't know. (laughs) Ezekiel 47 and 12, listen to what it says. Along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month it sounds like revelation doesn't it because their water flows from the sanctuary revelation the river flows from the throne of god their fruit will be for fruit for fruit their fruit will be for food and the leaves for medicine for well being hmm somebody asked well what age will we be in heaven The answer is, I don't know. But this I do know. Physically, we are at our peak in our late 20s, early 30s. Physically. Jesus at 33 was at his peak. Before that, we're getting more strength. After that, our strength begins to wane. So there seems to be a peak period there. Does that mean we'll all be in our 30s when we get to heaven? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we will be perfectly healthy, perfectly well. I'll not need my glasses. You'll not need a hearing aid. Nobody will need a toupee. I don't think so anyway. We'll be no pains, no aches, no sin, no diseases, no illness, no tears, no sorrow, I mean, we're going to look healthy. Some people are just the picture of health, aren't they? You know, you meet people, I mean, they just look healthy, don't they? I mean, they just look super good, healthy, strong, fit. Everybody in heaven is going to be like that, no matter what age they are. Now, whether God does something with age, whether he makes old people young or young people a bit older, I don't know. You remember when he created Adam? He created him a full adult. Adam didn't grow up as a little baby. He was a full adult, wasn't he? So God can do anything. He can change us any way. But we'll be recognizable. He'll not change us to the degree that we don't recognize each other. But it's just we'll be in full bloom of health, full vigor of health, strong, fit, well. regardless of our age. Somebody says, will there be babies in heaven? I don't know. What about those who have lost a child? Maybe as a baby. I have a little sister I've never met yet. She was 18 months old when she died before I was ever born. Will I see her in heaven? Absolutely. Will I know her? For sure. Will she know me? Absolutely. Is she still a little baby, 18 months old? I don't know. Maybe when my mother went to the glory. Maybe she's was introduced to her, Maybe she raised her up. I don't know. Just speculate. We don't know. But it'll be good anyway. And they'll be healthy and they'll be well. Is there a big nursery in heaven? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But whatever it is, it's going to be good. And you'll never look as well as when you get to the glory. And that'd be wonderful. Sometimes I get out of bed in the morning, I tell you I have to sit in the end of the bed for a minute or two to get to the pains ease off, to stretch myself Raymond said to me the other day, he said, do you ever notice how long it takes you now to get up in the morning to get ready? It takes you longer and longer, doesn't it, when you get older? You're a wee bit slower and there's pains and aches we never knew there were. I find I'm on a drive after an hour and I get to get out. I'm, I'm kind of nearly humped over because my back's sort of seized up and it takes me a while to get, get together. But when we get to heaven, boy, we'll, be, we'll just be fit. We'll just be, boy, that'd be great, won't it, eh? Full 2020 vision. Wonderful. Not need the old glasses, Clifford. Clifford's trying to do without them as long as he can, but he's resisting the urge. But <laughs> He went to read the Bible this morning, and I said to Ken at the back, I, says, I hope he's remembered this because he hasn't got any glasses on. <laughs> but he had it well rehearsed, and he did it okay. <laughs> Henry Durbinville Henry said that heaven is the center of the Christian universe. And we are bound to it by eight golden links. One, our Father is there. Our Father who art in heaven. Two, our Saviour is there. Hebrews 9, 24, Christ has entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Our home is there. In my Father's house are many mansions. Our name is there. Luke 10 and 20, Rejoice because your names are are written in heaven. Our inheritance is there. 1 Peter 1 says, We have an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Our life is there. In Colossians chapter 3, let me just read to this. To verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, so that when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Hallelujah. And then our heart is there. Matthew 6 Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break through and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break through and steal for where your treasure is there will your heart be also. And number 8 Our citizenship is there. Philippians 3.20 For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to God. You know, heaven is important not only for who is there, but it's also important for who is not there. Now, you would be very careful who you would invite into your home, wouldn't you? Somebody just came knocking on your door at midnight and you had no idea in the world who they were, you'd be very, very reluctant to invite them into your house, wouldn't you? Do you think God's any different about His house? You're only there by invitation, and you've got to have your invitation. And those who haven't got it and who haven't got the appointment. They're not going to get in. Revelation 22. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city. But outside are dogs. Jews called the uncircumcised dogs. The uncircumcised in heart. Dogs. Irreverent. People. Outside are dogs and sorcerers. By the way, that word sorcerers is where we get the word pharmaceutical from. Could that be to do with drugs, do you think? Outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. God is very choosy about who he lets into his house. Aren't you glad for that? Nobody there to defile. Nobody there to ruin the atmosphere. Nobody there that is not born again of God's Spirit. Nobody there that has not been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. It's very exclusive, isn't it? I have an old Bible at home, and a lady called Marcel Price uh, wrote this, in fact, it's in my Bible, I just copied it from it. It's called Heaven, a Guide for Travellers. We'll close this. Accommodation. Arrangements for first-class accommodation have been made in advance. Anybody on here ever fly first class? Trevor, you must have flown first class. I know you're too modest to say that, but you can't work for Rolls-Royce and not fly first class, eh? You work for a first-class company and they send you somewhere, no doubt it's first class. Good man. There you go. Well, you're all going to heaven first class. Aren't you glad for that? In my father's house are many. mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, and it will be first class. I've only ever got business class. And let me tell you, business class is better than coach class, because that's what I usually travel on, but I've never been in first class like Trevor. (laughs) (laughs) Only once or twice. Oh, no, there you are. I don't feel so bad now. All right. Passports. Persons seeking entry will not be permitted past the gates without having proper credentials and having their names registered with the ruling authority. There shall in no wise enter anything that defileth but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Departure times. The exact date of departure has not been announced. Travellers are advised to be prepared to leave at short notice. Acts 7, 1 and 7, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. Tickets. Your ticket is a written pledge that guarantees your journey. It should be claimed and its promises kept firmly in hand. He that heareth my word and believeth in him who sent me hath everlasting life shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. Customs. Only one declaration is required while going through Customs that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. I remember whenever we, Clever and I started to go to uh, Ukraine at the beginning, it's got a little bit more, uh, it's updated, can we say. The airport's been updated. And you used to have to go through the customs, and it was a kind of a cabin affair to get through that. And there was this big woman at the customs, big Russian woman. And the only English she knew was, how much you got? No, how much money you got, that was it. How much money you got? It didn't matter what you said. You said a million dollars. Okay. How much money you got? 50 quid. Okay. <laughs> that was her job. How much money you got? She was a customs officer, so you had to give her an answer. Immigration. All passengers are classified as immigrants since they're taking up permanent residence in a new country. The quota is unlimited, glory to God. They desire a better country that is a heavenly for he has prepared for them a city. Luggage. No luggage whatsoever can be taken. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Air passage. Travelers going directly by air are advised to watch daily for indications of imminent departure. Glory to God. We're looking for the rapture, aren't we? See, I still believe in the rapture. A lot of people doesn't, but I do. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Vaccination and inoculation. Injections are not needed, as diseases are unknown at the destination. (laughs) God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Currency. Supplies of currency may be forwarded ahead to await the passenger's arrival. Deposits should be as large as possible. <laughs> Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupts and thieves do not break through your state. Clothing, a complete and appropriate new wardrobe is provided for each traveler. He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. Do you know you're going to get a nice, brand new linen I was going to say frock wear, but that's not the word. Garment. Down to your feet. That'll take us Westerners a wee bit of getting used to that, but it'll be okay. It'll be beautiful. Time changes. Resetting of watches will not be necessary to adjust to any day or night schedule. Why? Because the city has no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, because the is light. Reservations. Booking is now open, apply at once. Now is accepted, time behold, now is the day of salvation. Coronation ceremony, the highlight of the journey, is the welcoming reception and coronation which await each new arrival. For there is light up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all of them that love his Appearing. Glory to God. Isn't that good? Aren't you glad you're going to heaven? Sarah, you're very fond of makeovers, aren't you? All of us is gonna get a complete body makeover. Not be grand. You might not a complete body makeover. Joni Tara Erickson, as you know, is a quadriplegic. She has no feeling from her neck down, permanently in a wheelchair. And she says when she reads those scriptures that God is going to give her a complete body makeover, she says what a joy that floods her soul when she will no longer be bound to that wheelchair. Now she's doing a very good job, and let me tell you, she has influenced millions for Christ. And one day she was taking, a, well, she was doing her testimony, and it was in a place where there was those who were mentally handicapped, and she told them about her and her life in the wheelchair, and she says, "But one day God is going to give me a new body." And they just all sat there and looked at her. And she says, the good news is that one day God is going to give all of you a new mind. And they all started to clap and cheer. (laughs) Because they could identify with that. No confusion. No fuzziness. No anxiety. No fear. No worry. No understanding. Perfect minds and bodies and spirits and souls. We just touched on it tonight. There's so many unanswered questions. But we can only touch on it. But are you ready? One day, one day, we'll go there. And what a joy that's going to be. When we see the king in his beauty. And our eyes shall behold him. And that will be the greatest thrill of all. Imagine to see Jesus personally. To actually see him and look at him in all of his glory. When you see his description and revelation, it's marvelous, isn't it? Come on, stand with me and we'll pray. Lord, keep reminding us that we're just strangers and pilgrims journeying through this earth, as Peter says. that here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Keep reminding us, Lord, in the busyness of this life and all of the difficulties that we face and the joys and the sorrows that in the midst of all of this, Lord, that we have an objective. We have a goal. We have a destination to reach. We're running in a race and the finishing line is ahead. And Lord, help us, Lord, to lay aside every weight and everything that distracts us and holds us back so that we may run a race and that we may win the race. And Lord, one day we'll see you face to face. One day we'll gather around your throne and we'll sing the song of the redeemed. Lord, what a joy that's going to be when all heaven will declare the glory of the risen Lord. And Lord, we'll join in giving you thanks. So we bless you, Lord. We thank, Lord, of that new Jerusalem, Lord. Our minds are boggled. But, Lord, what a thrill that's going to be. So much to explore, so much to do, so much to see. It's going to take all eternity, Lord, for you to reveal everything that you've got in store for us. And we give you honor and we give you glory tonight. And we thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.